Great. Here we are. If, am I on there? Yeah, great. If you could be drawing your attention back to the front, that'll be wonderful. It's great to have you with us uh, this morning. If you're uh, new, if you're visiting, please do stay around. Uh, at the end, we're going to have tea and coffee and a time to get to, to know one another. So do stay. Uh, say hello. It'd be great to meet you. Um, as it's already been said, this morning is a, uh, a key uh, morning for us as a church family as we are going to be celebrating um, those amongst us who have made a decision to, to follow Christ. And um, they have entered in from, uh, from death into to life. They have experienced something of who God is. And they have responded to him. And in a few moments, we're going to hear uh, their stories. Uh, and then we're going to celebrate later on um, as, we, as we celebrate what Jesus has done in their life. And for many of us here today, we, have, uh, we too have experienced God. We might not have physically uh, seen him, but we have experienced the, his power in our lives. And today we're going to read a story that is found in the, in the New Testament in uh, chapter 6 of Isaiah, in, in which Isaiah uh, experiences God. And we're going to read, this, the words are already on the screen, they're, they're so quick. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn there. It says Isaiah 6, and I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 8. Says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted and seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. In this passage, uh, Isaiah encounters God and he realizes who God is. And from that realization, he realizes who he is. And this morning, I want to look at some of the things that Isaiah realizes about God. And I hope that as we do that, we will see a picture of God afresh. For some of us, it will be a reminder of who God is. For some of us, it will be a reminder of why you're getting baptized this morning. And for others, my, my prayer is that if you don't know who this God is, you will encounter him for yourself today. Because my job isn't here to, to use persuasive words, but through his power, he would come. And that's what we're going to, that's what I'm praying for today. So we first, we see, first one, it says this. Do you want to flick to the next slide? Great. Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. King Uzziah is a, is a real king. Uh, he lived around uh, 740 BC and he was the king of a kingdom called Judah. And under his, his rule, the, the nation had seen great prosperity. But his death marked an end to this era. For, for this man, Isaiah, and his, his fellow people, it was a moment of the unknown. And I feel as a nation, we live in the unknown. You know, nationally, I, we look at Brexit. Who knows? Who knows what the next six months has got for us? But it seems like in at least the short term, for the next couple of years, we're going to suffer while we work out what it means to be out of the European Union. Whether you agree with us leaving or not, the next couple of years are a little bit unknown. We can look at issues of life. You turn on the news and you see issues of, of start of life and abortion, or you look at end of life and, and euthanasia, and, and there's lots of debates about laws and about rights. You look at issues of identity or issues of sexuality. You look at the benefit system and all the changes that's, that has undergone over the last couple of years. And we look at all these issues and, and genuinely, I don't think anyone knows where we're going. 
I don't think anyone knows what these changes will mean in a year's time, let alone in 10 years or 20 years' time. And we live in this moment of the unknown, just as Isaiah and the people live in this moment of the unknown as the king dies. Yet in that moment, in that moment of the unknown, Isaiah, he sees the Lord. King Uzziah might be dead, but God lives on. And when our universe came into existence, God was living. He was living when Noah built the ark. He was living when Galileo invented the telescope. He was living when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. And the truth is he's living today. It's good news. Because Psalm 90 verse 2 says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He was, he is, and he is to come. You know, for the people being baptized today, they have encountered God because he is alive. In a moment of unknown, we have a certainty, and that is we have a God who is alive. If you are new to church, this isn't, uh, you, you, I don't know what you were expecting when you came today. We are not a church of, of tradition and stories, but we are about a relationship with a living God. And Isaiah sees the Lord, and he is alive, and he is alive today. Secondly, Isaiah then sees that God is in charge. He says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. A throne indicates power. If you've ever seen uh, photos of our queen sat on her throne, you'll always notice that no matter what the occasion is, her seat is always bigger and higher than anyone else's. You can be in no doubt if you walk into that room who is in charge. And in this picture, Isaiah sees God and he is seated on a throne. Such is his power and his authority. No one compares to him. He has all authority and that means that what he says goes. I don't get to question God and why he decides to do certain things. No, I submit to him knowing that he is in charge. And not only that, he knows best and he loves me. For those being baptized today, they have been living away from God, but they have made a decision to submit their lives to him. For you, if you're being baptized today, you now have a king in charge of your life. And I can promise you that your idea of living will conflict with his idea of living. You will read scripture, you will read the Bible, and it will conflict with how you have lived before. The views that you have will be challenged, and you will have to learn to submit and trust him. I cannot stress enough how important relationship with other believers is. Being part of a growth group if you're part of Jubilee because, it, because learning what that means, we need to create spaces and relationships to work out what submitting to King Jesus now looks like and what obedience looks like. And you know, do you notice that Isaiah's picture, God is sat on a throne. And the fact that he is sat is really important. Because he is in control of everything, yet he does it from a seated position. Yesterday, my uh, wife was out for the day, and um, I had the responsibility of looking after our nine-month-old son. And I am glad to tell you, he is still alive. <laughs> but I found myself running around doing different things, you know, making sure that he was fed and watered like a plant, um, that he had his nappy change regularly, that, and making sure that the house wasn't a complete bombsite by the time Rachel got back home. And, and I found myself, be, I had these responsibilities, I was in charge, and yet I found myself being busy, 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 busy. Now I know my wife does that every day while I'm at work, I do realise that, but she has some super mum powers. Um, my point is that when we have responsibilities, our response is often to run around, to get busy, right? How can I do this? What do I need to do to, to complete this? So we start spinning those plates, running around, running around, busy, busy, busy. God is in charge of everything we see, yet he is not running around. He's seated on a throne. It's, out, it's, it's outstanding. It's, it, he's not stressed. He's not panicking about the state of the world. He is not taken by surprise by what happens. He is seated on a throne. He orchestrates all of history seated on a throne. Why am I telling you this? Because as believers, that should fill us with so much confidence. Because when he gives us promises, we can know that he's going to work them out. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that those who love God 
all things work out, work together for the good of those who, who are called according to his purpose. We can know that God is working out his plan. It doesn't say that only good things happen. It says that he is working out all things for good. When he says that, and when he says other promises, we can know it's true. He is in control. Isaiah then sees God's beauty, and it says, the train of his robe filled the temple. Who's been to a wedding before? Yeah? If you've been to a wedding, you will have seen the bride walk down the aisle, and then behind her, there is this, sometimes, they're not always long, but sometimes long train, this dress that goes out behind her. Sometimes it's so heavy that they have to have people to hold it up. Now, in this picture... God, the Lord, has his train of his robe. And imagine if you were at a wedding and, and the bride starts to come down the aisle and, and naturally the wedding dress starts to flow behind her. And then as she comes in that further down the aisle, the, it just keeps coming through the door. And before you know it, it's going over your heads. And before you know it, we're having to leave to make space for this train. It would be ridiculous. It would be, I mean, it, it, you'd, re, you'd remember that wedding though. You definitely would remember that wedding. But this picture of God, this temple is filled with the train of his robe. And this, this points towards the, his greatness, but also his beauty. God's robe filling the temple shows his splendor. And all of creation shows God's splendor. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You know, watch a blue planet or another David Attenborough TV on nature and you'll be wowed by creation. And it declares the beauty of God. Whether that is an incredible animal, whether it is a beautiful sunrise, whether it is a, a newborn baby, creation is designed to make us marvel at the beauty of God. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without an excuse. Creation, all around us, confronts us with a question. Who is the creator? Many have argued that there is none, but I refuse to believe that. The passage in Romans tells us that in creation, we see who God is. He is beautiful. He is magnificent. And our only response to his splendor is to worship him. Those getting baptized today, they have seen something of God's beauty. And they have responded to him by giving their lives to him. Spending eternity worshiping him. There's no better response than that. And fourthly, we see God's power. It says this, above him were the seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. We're introduced to these, frankly, weird angelic beings. We don't know exactly what they are. They don't appear anywhere else in the Bible, but we see other angelic beings uh, in other stories, such as 2 Kings 19, and it says in verse 35, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all the dead bodies. We see this angelic being come, and such is his power that he can kill 185,000 people in one night. And in verse 4, we also see this pass in, uh, the passage in Isaiah. We see that when the seraphim speaks, the foundations of the temple shake. So we don't exactly know what these creatures are, but we can assume that they are fairly powerful. And yet this picture describes them as having six wings. And two of those wings are just there to cover their eyes. Such is the power of God that even these beings... Even these angelic beings do not feel worthy to see God. They don't feel worthy to look at God. And if angels have to hide themselves in holy fear and reverence, how much more should we? You know, it's really nice singing of God's love for us. It's nice to, to tell stories of how God is our friend. But in doing so, sometimes we can miss the fact that God is incredibly powerful. We can treat him as our best buddy. When we do that, what we do is we put ourselves in danger 
of treating him as someone who has influence in our life, not someone who has complete control. I have loads of friends who have influence, who I can put arm around and will speak truth into my life, but they don't have control. God is not my best buddy. He is incredibly powerful. He is the Lord over my life. He has complete control. And the angels cannot look at God because of his power. In Exodus chapter 3, we see Moses encounter God and it says, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses realizes who God is and he is afraid to even look at God. And in a moment, I am going to look at how Isaiah responds to seeing God's power because God does invite us in. There is good news. But the starting point must be one of realizing who God is. It must be one of reverence, realizing just how powerful God is and whose presence we're in. That must be our starting point. We never should take God's presence lightly. We should never take his presence amongst us for granted. And then the seraphim, they see in God, they respond, and they are calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. In Isaiah's picture, he sees God's holiness. You know, repetition plays an important part in the Bible. If you read it once, it's important. Twice, they're really trying to get something. Three times, you better take real notice. Holy, holy, holy. Trying to get this, Isaiah is trying to get this point across about just how holy God is. These angelic beings, they are shouting to one another. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah sees God's holiness. He sees his perfection and then he responds by realizing his wretchedness. He says this in verse 5. He sees God's power and he says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we see God for who he is, we realize who we are. God is perfect in every way. Yet the story of mankind is our disobedience and our rebellion. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden and they're in perfect relationship with God. Genesis tells us that they walked in the garden with him. But being with God wasn't enough. They wanted to be God. What happens is they rebel. They disobey God's instruction. They are removed from relationship with God. They are banished out of the garden. And the Bible tells us that since that time, since Adam and Eve first rebelled, every one of us has gone our own way and chosen to disobey God. And the Bible tells us that such act brings about punishment, and that punishment is death. Since Adam and Eve first chose to go their own way, we have all done the same, and we have placed a barrier between us and God. We are deserving of death. For Isaiah, he sees God. He realizes the mess he is in. Woe is me. I am in trouble. And for the people being baptized today, they have realized that they have made a mess of their lives. They have walked away from God. They were heading towards death and an eternity separate from God, but something happened. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. In the face of our mess and our rebellion, the Bible tells of a solution that God has. In the Old Testament, it, it tells us how God's people will be reconciled to, back to him by the sacrificing of blood of an animal. That through the shedding of blood, people could be made right with God. The animal took the, the temporary punishment that the people deserved. But this, as the story of God's, God's relationship with his people and God's plan unfolds, we see that receiving forgiveness that way was never the plan moving forward. Hebrews 10 describes it like this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? 
For the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer feel guilty for their sins. But these sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of a bull and goats to take away sins. So these animal sacrifices, they were a temporary solution, but the real solution to our rebellion was that God would send someone perfect, a perfect human sacrifice to come and die in our place to receive the punishment that we deserved. And the New Testament tells us that Jesus came to earth. He became man. He lived among he lived as one of us among us, but he did what none of us could do. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And that meant that he could go to the cross and die on our behalf. He could take the punishment that we deserved on himself. And as Romans 5, 6 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For the people being baptized today, they have realized their need for a savior and they have realized that Christ died for them. Before I became a Christian, I remember I heard stories about Jesus I knew so much of those stories that you would hear about in in Sunday school for me. But over time, I remember I encountered God for myself. And he opened my eyes to exactly the situation I was in and my need for him. And so one day, as I listened to the Bible being taught, I made the decision to give my life to Jesus. To accept the sacrifice that he made on the cross was for me and chose to follow him. Because of that grace, I was saved. And the same grace has seen many people in this room accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. You know, my favourite definition of grace is one by an author called Philip Yancey. And it says this, grace means there is nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. I found in Jesus that he fully accepted me. No matter what I had done in the past, he wanted to show his love to me. And this is the grace that Isaiah received. Isaiah lived in a time before Jesus walked the earth, but I think what he was seeing was a sight of what was to come. No more blood offerings as we see grace administered not by the shedding of blood, but as Isaiah's mouth is touched, his sin is taken away, he receives forgiveness. One moment there is woe is me and the next God is drawing near to him and bringing him back into relationship. The story of the grace of God was that I was heading for death, but I didn't get punished. And instead, I got a gift of life. That's what grace is. I didn't deserve any of it. If you're here today and and you're not a believer, this is what Romans 5 says. For for if by the trespasses of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? If you are here today and you don't know Jesus, what that passage doesn't say is it doesn't say you are saved by attending church. It doesn't say you are saved by your good works. No, it says that death reigned over all of us, but through a gift of Jesus, we now reign in life. It doesn't say that we earned any special favor or that God owes us an easy life. It was a gift from God. If you're looking at us, there's nothing special about us. We didn't earn it at all. I was chosen by him, not because I bring anything to the party, but because he loves me. And the same is true for you today. If you don't know him personally as your Lord and Savior, then you have the opportunity to be in relationship with him today. It doesn't matter if you had an easy life or a hard life. If you think you've lived pretty well or you made a horrible mess of it, we are all in need of God's grace. And he offers it as a free gift today. And finally, we see God's call on Isaiah's life. In verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Jesus calls us into relationship. We can draw near to God, not fearing punishment, but confidently knowing that we are forgiven. Isaiah receives his forgiveness, but then with the forgiveness comes with an invitation. Who will go for us? God wants to partner with us today. He wants to use us to advance his kingdom. The Bible describes us as the light of the world. We are called to show Jesus to the world, to be the light into the darkness. For those being baptized today, this is just the beginning for you. We want to celebrate with you the grace that God has shown you, but then God is inviting you to partner with him in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Don't sit back and wait to be equipped. God has given you all you need. 
to do all he has called you to. Don't keep one foot in the world and one foot following Jesus. Follow him with your all. Don't treat the gift of grace by living disobediently. Embrace the change that God is wanting to make in you. Don't make community just about turning up once a week, but embrace friendships and get involved in church life. And for those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, I want to give us that same challenge. Have you seen the beauty of God? As you, as hopefully as we look to this passage, you will realize just the response that God is calling us to. Are you still following Jesus with your all? Do you live in the goodness of his grace? When God speaks, are you following him? Shall we pray? Yes, Lord, we thank you that you are incredible. You're so powerful, seated on a throne. It's amazing. You're in charge of all things that you're not panicking, you're not stressed today, but you are in complete control. And Lord, right now, we just want to submit our life to you. Lord, we know that the only appropriate response is to lay down our lives in worship. And Lord, right now, we want to, I want to commit my life again to following you with my all. Lord, forgive me where I have, have not done that. Forgive me where I have uh, lived as if you're just an add-on to my life rather than the complete center. And Lord, help us live for you. And Lord, we just pray that for those who don't know you today, we pray you would come and reveal yourself to them, that they would encounter you today, they would encounter your power, and they would encounter your grace. And we pray for those being baptized today. Lord, we pray that you would, we thank you that you want to partner with them in in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we just pray that even today that they would feel empowered, you would be speaking to them, that they would leave here with a, a fresh excitement to serve you with their all. We ask this in your name. Amen. So. Okay, so um, we're going to be hearing the testimonies of some of the people who are being baptised today. So if, um, if Gail and Nicola, Lisa and Andrea can come forward, we're going to go up here and we're going to hear about what God has done. So if you can give them a hand and encourage them, it'd be brilliant. We'll start with you, Lisa, if that's okay. So, um, just be great to hear about, you know, about what your life was like before and and what's happened since you've met Jesus, um, and what your life is like now. So, I'll just hand you the mic. Yeah. I've always been um, self-conscious and a little insecure. People see a confident, secure, caring, funny-looking ginger. At school, just to survive, I had to fight every day. At the time, I didn't realise it was bullying. I didn't want to be a victim, so I stuck up for myself and others. They say sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. But though all the fighting, the names hurt the most. I never told my mum, and that hurt her when she found out years later, by another student who recognised her and wanted to pass on a message of thanks for all my help. I have struggled with my weight all my life. I stopped eating at school and I became anorexic. Then later on, I went on from one extreme to another and became obese. I started drinking at an early age. I drank for confidence. I never saw it as a problem as I didn't drink every day. It just made me feel better about myself. I joined the army and became an army medic, something I was good at. I fit right in. It was mainly men in my unit and I'd always been a tomboy. I felt accepted, one of the lads, and I could drink. I seemed to attract the, right, the wrong type of person. My first long-term relationship, I suffered constant mental abuse. 
My life did take a turn for the better. Scott Marshall showed me that not all men were the same and what love should look like. But sadly, in 2003, disaster struck. Scott died in a car crash and I was in intensive care. My well crashed. A nice padre came to see me after. And sorry, Steve, but I told God he could kiss my ass. I told him he could join me for a drink if he wanted to, which he did bless him. I thanked him later in my life and apologised. I just didn't want, didn't understand why somebody like me had survived. I was mad at God. I struggled on and I went to Iraq again. I threw myself into my work, took risks, and I drank a lot. But what I call the army bubble, it just seemed normal. Eventually I had a breakdown. I didn't want to leave the army, but I wasn't the same person. Again, it felt like another less. I met somebody who I married and I shouldn't have. I was still grieving. I stayed longer than I should have because I felt guilty. He changed as soon as we married and became violent. At first I would fight back, as again I wouldn't be a victim until I had nothing left. On one occasion he kicked me so bad I couldn't breathe and I could hear my ribs cracking. He grabbed me by the throat and headbutted me in the face and strangled me. And as I passed out, I thought that's it. I wasn't gonna make it. Sorry, I lost my way. <laughs> Thank you. I haven't really said that out loud before, just bits. I went from a size 10 to a size 22. I felt ugly, fat. I had forgiven the drunk driver that had hit Scott and I, but I couldn't forgive myself as I felt his death was my fault. I moved to Canada in 2009 and became isolated from my family. We lived in the middle of nowhere, but across from our house was a little church called the Waterville Babsis Church. Kids and I started going. I listened to Pastor Sparks week in, week out, and I started having panic attacks. I felt so bad I had to go to hospital. One day, going to the doctors in the middle of the busy streets in Heartland, I just looked up with my hands in the air, and I said, OK, God, I am listening. Thank you. I'm sorry for shutting you out. I don't know what I look like. <laughs> I was hands in the air. I must look crazy. But I realised God had never left. I cried, but no more pest, um, chest pains. I had to travel to Canada to find him again. I became a big part of the church, but I was still unhappy. I was a daddy's girl and we spoke every day. It took his death of my father in 2015 that I couldn't stay married anymore. Even though I felt a favour, I needed to go home or I'd end up dead. I prayed for gardens and once home a huge burden had been lifted. I thanked him for giving me the strength. I contacted Project Hot Dog Home with support as I wanted to help others. I started the second week. I met Chris, who is now my fiance. You know what he won't think it. Chris is a gift from God. I hadn't hugged anyone for years. After the first night volunteering, I was told, all hugged, but much to my horror, which I thought was really weird. My proper first hug was from Chris. I was still drinking, binge drinking, but on April, April the 8th, 2016, I decided I wanted to stop. I also needed a church. Chris mentioned Jubilee, it was perfect. God has given me a loving fiance. We get married on Star Wars Day, and just in case you don't know, May the 4th. A loving family, amazing children, I'm so proud of them. God can see the real me. Someone I'm marrying very soon said, God sees you in the bath, which always makes me smile. A song called I Need You Know by a Canadian group called Plum really hurt home for me in the beginning of my journey. It was one of the first solo songs I sang for a worship team. God has sent me on a different path of helping others through Project Hot Dog and Hot Dog's Cafe. At times it is a struggle. I try my best, but God reminds me why we do it. I just like to sing a little song if I can. So here goes, just a little bit of it. <clears throat> now everybody's got a story to tell. And everybody's got a wound to be healed. I want to believe there's beauty here. Because, oh, I get so tired of holding on. I can't let go. I can't move on. I want to believe there's meaning here. How many times have you heard me cry out, God, please take this? How many times have you given me strength to 
Just keep breathing. Oh, I need you, God. I need you now. I need you now. I need you now. Thank you. So um, Jane is going to come and help um, Andrea in telling her story. Okay. This is Andrea's testimony. I was born in Hull, home was a very loving place with loving parents. I have a sister and a brother. We all went to Sunday school, involved in brownies and guards, loved my school days. When I left, I, didn't, I did a YTS course for two years. When I was 18, I started working in a nightclub, Romeo and Juliet. I met Darren. We got married in 1996. We had four children. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, so we got divorced. So I had the kids to look after. I was very sad. I was very lost and very lonely. I went on an internet looking for company and friendship, not really looking for love, but found it with Mark in 2010. We got married in 2012. Even though we were very happy, we know something was missing. I went to the Queen's house knitting. I met a lady who told me about the knitting club at Jubilee. Mark and I attended a group and found out about others' life college activities. Through this, we found out about the Alpha course, which we attended. We listened to all the talks, and because of our hearts, we're open to Jesus. Because of what we experienced, we gave our hearts to Jesus. Since this time, my life has become much more happier. I felt the void I felt is now filled. I look forward to spending time with Jesus and knowing the plans he has for me, making new friends in Christ, looking forward to my journey. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, so finally we have Gail. You're going to... Can come and share your story? And is, is Nicola, you going to? You don't have to speak. You can just, just come sit. That's fine. And Nicola's a bit shy. Can you just encourage them again for us, please? Thank you, Alison. We thought we'd dress a little bit low-key today, so as you can, as you can tell. So, thank you, everybody, for being here with us today. A bit like everybody in the room, I can imagine, when we never give God a second chance, or even wanted to have him in our lives. We're pretty annoyed with God. For a long time, because um, he took somebody from us who was very uh, special, and that was our mum. The signals that God just tried to keep getting through, just getting through, and we both had massive, massive chip on our shoulders. And we, um, we used to always think life's unfair. And we both felt, if God is real, then why doesn't he always take the good people and leave the bad people on earth? That's how we used to see life in general. 
I can still hear us having conversations about how we didn't believe in God and all the things we could blame it, we could blame him for. in our meaningful and mundane lives. I would often remark, if you wanted to prove yourself to us right now, right here, then um, it could make me win the lottery and I'd prove that it was real because everything that we used to request from him. I had to have a gain of possession. Um, and that God wasn't worthy of our time. He wasn't worthy of our love. But would, we would let him have it for a price. Like winning the lottery, he could, he could make something amazing happen. Right there, right now. And we believe. But that didn't happen either. And I always thought, why did horrible things keep happening to us and our family? And we used to have it's a not fair attitude. And this is that we saw life in general. I recall a scripture from the Bible, and even when I never believed, it was Luke 23. 34, and I can see that was how we was living our lives. And we both fought with our thoughts and ideas. If there was even a God, and for many years, the mentioning of God's name in our family circle wasn't well received. And I know I blame God for everything that happened in my life. And I know my sister did. And he didn't even have to be in the room. But all this changed for me and for my sister on the 5th of March. I'll never forget the day, 2017. I remember this day like no other because something beautiful happened to me and my, my sister around this time. And what we experienced rocked us from the top and the bottom of our, our souls and shook our whole being. And God put his arms around us and moved into our hearts and our lives and brought us out of the mire. God knew we wasn't interested in paying him any attention and he'd never give up on us. And from that moment on, we both knew God had chose to, us to serve him and we didn't need any more convincing of how awesome and God is and what our purpose is on earth which is to follow our amazing Father. Amen. <laughs> we always felt deep down in our souls and hearts we was destined to do something amazing. But we never imagined it would be through God and seeking his and needing his love and mercy every day. And as much as we need the air we breathe. My sister and I are not perfecting God in any way and he's still got quite a lot of work to do in us. But we are not where we used to be. We are both stronger in our convictions in following God and by knowing we are safe in God's protection every day. Today is our proudest day to be alive. Amen. And God has got, might not always, we might not always get it right, but we, we both know our God is a loving and forgiving Father. And he's filled us out of the, the pit of despair. My sister and me, we laugh a lot more. And I don't know at the moment I don't look like I do, but we do laugh a lot more. We sing a lot louder, as I'm often told on a Sunday. You enjoy your singing. And we are living much happy and meaningful lives. 
the gifts that we've inherited, we want to share because the presence of God in our lives, we don't mean the can that you buy in shops. We mean the gifts. The talk is priceless and we and giving with love, which are caring for our neighbour. Care for strangers, seeing the best in the worst in situations and not turning our back on the hand that is stretched out in need, like ours was. Loving each other and taking care of each other. These are simple gifts that cost nothing and take little, little from us. And little cacks of kindness and caring each seem less nowadays and are often overlooked. Well, we're in team God out, Nikki. Yeah. We're in team God and we're going to blow our trumpets all around these city walls and break down barriers that are also preventing other people connecting with God because we want everybody to hear our good news and we've got lots to say. I would like to say a big thank you to Jubilee Church for making us feel part of the family and for everybody who have done everything for us since we've come here, and especially on the Alpha course. I have met some amazing people and long-lasting friendships that will last a lifetime. And for all the beautiful food that was served for us every week, I will have to go on a diet. <laughs> and thank you for everyone here today who's bearing witness and supporting my sister and me in this special day as we get baptised. So let's get dunked, <laughs> because you're invited to the greatest party on earth. God bless you all. Thank you ever so much. God bless you. Thank you. Isn't it amazing to hear what God's done, the, the grace of God in action? So we're going to hear from, from Sue, who's going to share a bit more about what baptism actually means. So just very quickly, because uh, it's amazing today, you know, stuff that um, different people have contributed to the service, what Dan has said, um, what's, what Rachel bought, it's great, it's all pointing to where I was going. So I'm only going to take a couple of minutes, then we're going to get the children, and then the exciting part, we're going to baptise these lovely people. Um, and it's just so great what Gail has just said, um, God never gives up on any of us, and that is absolutely true, isn't it? Um, it says in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's what we've heard today, isn't it? These ladies confessing with their mouths. It is fantastic. They've believed that when Jesus died on the cross, he died there. He took the punishments that should have been theirs, all that Dan was explaining to us before. And it's only through Jesus could they once again have friendship with God. It's only through Jesus that that relationship could be restored to the point that God had always intended it to be. It's only through Jesus that the wrong things that they've done, what the Bible calls sin, could be dealt with. The wrong things they've done, the wrong things they've thought, the wrong attitudes they've had, the shame and the guilt. Some of them have spoken about that this morning. It's only through Jesus that these things can be wiped out, can be changed. We've been singing about it, haven't we? We've been singing many things today about Jesus taking our, sh our shame, about Jesus' forgiveness, about Jesus' love. And repeatedly in the Bible, when people say, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I do? We hear, believe, and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And that is what these ladies are about to do. But why? Why are we doing it? Some of you may never have seen a baptism like this. Some of you may never have been into a church with a big pool down at the front. It doesn't say in the Bible, be born and be baptized. It doesn't say in the Bible, be a baby and be baptized. 
Um, it says believe and be baptized. And the word in the Bible for baptize, it actually means to soak, to saturate. It's something that needs a lot of water, which is what we've got down here. And I want to reassure you, because some of the ladies, they were a bit shaky. They were so nervous, but it is nice and warm. So you'll be okay when you get in. When these people, when these ladies are going to be baptized, what they are saying isn't, I'm going to become a Christian. They're already a Christian. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change anywhere how they stand before God. It doesn't change their eternities. They're already Christians. They've already been forgiven. But what it is doing, it is showing publicly before all you lot today that they have decided to turn from their old life and turn to live in their life 100% for God, as Dan was talking about before. And the Bible, it actually compares being baptized with being buried. Now, don't worry, nobody's going to be left in the water this morning. We are going to make sure all of you get back up. But when a body dies and is buried, it is down in the ground, and the corpse is left there. And as these people go into the water, it's as if their old life is going to be left down there in the water. The wrongs they've done, the wrong attitudes, the things that they wish nobody knew about, all of that is going to be left behind. And as they come up, they're going to come up in the new life that Jesus has for them. That life filled with peace, filled with God's goodness, filled with God's faithfulness. And as they've said, they know they can't keep doing it. They know they can't keep trying. So they are coming up into the life that God is giving them. Their old life is over. It's finished. It's done with. And instead, they have that new life. And as they come up out of the water, you're going to see people clapping. You're going to see people being excited. You're going to see people hugging them, even when they're soaking wet. Why? Because each of these people is showing that they want to live their new lives for God. They want to live their new lives through his power and in his glory. And that is exciting. So let's get on. We're going to sing another song, so if Kath and the band can come up while we're singing, if you could go and collect your children from Explorers, and then we're going to baptize. And as these people get ready to be baptized, if you'd like to come forward, especially if you're family members and you want to take photographs, please come forward. You can take photographs. You can be really up close. And I just want to say, if you don't want to be in any photographs, then don't come near the front. If you don't want your children to be in their photographs, don't bring them right out to the front, okay? 